The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order. Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran. Welcome back to the State House Takeout for another edition with Colin Young, Chris Lasinski, and Matt Murphy joining us this week. Figured we'd uh, do a little podcasting before we head out to the district for the three-day weekend. Um, last night wrapped up, and Colin, you were here until the very end. Last night wrapped up right. the Senate's budget debate for this uh, this year. Uh, they tacked on an additional $74.4 million uh, through the amendment process uh, for a... Uh, what do we say here? Roughly $42.8 billion budget. Yeah, it comes in about 42.8, just slightly higher than uh, the House's final budget, which, which was about $42.7 billion. Uh, you mentioned, Sam, senators added just shy of $75 million in additional spending uh, on the floor. Uh, and that leaves the FY20 budget uh, about a 3% increase in spending over this current year's budget. And uh, there aren't a, a whole lot of huge differences between between this and the, and the House budget, right? Yeah, so there are some significant differences between the House and Senate, uh, but they're not, there, aren't, there are not that many of those significant differences. Uh, but the conferees who could be appointed as early as next week uh, will certainly have their work cut out for them. Sure, and they've got five weeks ahead of them, right? If they're going to meet the July 1st uh, deadline, uh, that didn't happen last year. We were, what was it, last in the nation, Matt? Yeah, I think we were last. And it's interesting. Well, I, I mean, I guess we won't know until July 1st whether or not uh, it will have made a difference. But, you know, there are some of those significant differences that Colin mentioned, a few tax increases in there, like opioid tax, uh, an e-cigarette tax, uh, some major differences on some pharmaceutical drug pricing negotiation uh, stuff. Uh, but what really stood out to me over the course of this week was the discipline that uh, Chairman Rodriguez and Karen Spilka brought to their first kind of full budget in charge of this thing. We saw uh, senator after senator from Jamie Eldridge uh, proposing a, a corporate tax increase but withdrawing it. Uh, John Keenan pushing his a ban on flavored tobacco, but then withdrawing it out of deference to this idea that the Senate didn't want to pursue a major policy in this budget. Right, which they previously had, right, under former President Stan Rosenberg. And that was when current President Spilko was Ways and Means chairwoman. Yeah, the Senate almost became famous for stuffing these budgets with tons of outside sections and policy, and they tried to rein that in, and we'll see whether or not that makes negotiations with the House a, a little easier, since they'll kind of be uh, negotiating around uh, around numbers and, and total spending and less about some of these uh, thornier policy issues. Yeah, I wonder if that's part of why the Senate uh, chose to pursue this path, kind of leave those conference negotiations a little bit more simple. They have, like I said, those big... Uh, issues in front of them. Matt mentioned a few of them. Uh, they'll also have the issue of the UMass tuition and fee freeze. Uh, that's a, one of the differences. The The Senate, of course, includes the tuition and fee freeze in its budget. The House does not. Mm -hmm. That'll be an issue that they'll have to iron out. Uh, and we heard from senator after senator this week saying, uh, I'm going to withdraw this amendment because I understand that we're not going to do policy in this budget or that Ways and Means doesn't want to do policy in this budget. Um, and by doing that, they're really cutting down on the number of things that they'll have to work out in conference. 
It's curious to me exactly what has changed too, right? I mean, it's not too long ago that these two branches were fighting over rules and committees and the Senate was frustrated uh, that they couldn't get their own uh, bills out of these joint committees and get them to the floor. So they'd stuff them into their budget proposal and try and get them through that way. And and now all of a sudden, everyone seems to have uh, found committee religion. And you hear (laughs) House Speaker Robert DeLeo talking about how, uh, you know, deferring to the committee process on, on most of these big bills that we've been asking them about. Uh, the Senate now also deferring the revenue debate to the, the Adam Hines working group uh, on tax policy and uh, some of these other issues to bills that are sitting in front of committees. Uh, so uh, we'll see if this new approach yields any different results. And to what do you attribute that, Matt? Is this sort of uh, being driven by the new Spilka presidency? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, certainly there are new people in charge. Uh, maybe they're trying to uh, do this a little differently and, and work together after uh, last year's implosion of some big issues that they they were wanting to get done, education, healthcare, and they couldn't. Maybe they think this new collaborative approach, if they work it through the committees, they'll get a better result. But uh, I'm not entirely clear on what's driving this. Well, in, within each branch, uh, I wonder if this approach... Uh, we heard from reps last month and heard from senators this week. On each side, they thought their own process went very smoothly. They felt like they were heard. The new chairman, they all, everyone, uh, they were both praised uh, on both sides. Everyone said they did a good job. I wonder if that was part of it, that when you're not trying to debate immigration policy as part of the budget, it allows you and allows Ways and Means committees to focus more on the budget, on those budget amendments. It allows you to come together behind some overwhelmingly popular ideas. Uh, Colin, I think you might have been down on the floor uh, when senators drew attention last night to uh, hate crimes around Massachusetts. And some of the senators senators who spoke uh, had had incidents within the last year in their own communities. And uh, it was a unanimous uh, roll call vote, right, to increase, what, 400 percent the funding toward uh, nonprofit security grants? Yeah, that's right. It was a a 40 to nothing vote. Um, Even when things are unanimous in the Senate, it's not always 40 to nothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The president doesn't always vote. That's sometimes a... um, sort of an indication of, of, of how much support there is for an issue when the president chooses to vote, and she did in this instance. Um, and this is to provide $600,000 for a state grant program that uh, gives money to nonprofits, uh, mostly geared towards churches, synagogues, uh, community centers, religious day schools, those type of facilities, uh, to harden their security uh, while we see this uh, rise of hate crimes in Massachusetts and across the country. Uh, so that amendment was one that uh, six or seven different senators got up to speak on and to talk about these hate crimes that have occurred in their own districts. Um, one that really jumped out to me was Senator Feingold, who talked about uh, the fact that this weekend is his daughter's bat mitzvah. And he said, you know, this is supposed to be a a joyous occasion, a great celebration. And yet he and his wife had to sit down with the rabbi and talk about uh, the plan for security uh, at the synagogue for the bat mitzvah, sort of putting a a bit of a damper on what's supposed to be a a celebration. I was down there on the floor for part of that as well. And it, it was very striking to see, you know, you get senators and representatives talking a lot about their districts and large issues. But a lot of this 
uh, commentary was very personal. Senators speaking from their own personal experiences of having fears in temples and synagogues and worrying for their children at daycare and in day schools. Um, probably some of the most you know personal accounts I've heard in my time here covering the Senate. And that was one um, at the end of the night, uh, Minority Leader Bruce Tarr got up and said, uh, you know, he's been a member of the Senate for a long time, going back to the mid 90s. Uh, and he said he has not been more proud of the Senate uh, than he was last night as everyone uh, got up and shared those personal stories, uh, but more so just talked about the issue of hate and discrimination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Tarr said was, you know, if this is if we were to not talk about this in public, we would be allowing it to fester and allowing it to grow. So we brought it out into the light and discussed it as a way of uh, uh, refuting it. Hate lives in darkness, he said. It thrives on concealment and it preys on fear. But we brought it out and, and talked about minority it. Leader for you. Yes, it is. And Chris, you were down there for another unanimous uh, roll call uh, on uh, tacking on another $2 million uh, for regional school transportation aid. These are regional schools where students are coming from multiple surrounding communities into this one central uh, school. And that's all on top of uh, a $5 million increase that was already written into the budget bill. The House included $5 million, uh, more than the current fiscal year budget we're operating under, and the, the governor filed. That's right. So this is adding another $2 million on top of it. You know, the initial proposal came from uh, Senator Tarr, the minority leader, and that would have added $5 million more, but uh, in kind of a, a compromise to uh, a further amendment that was filed on top of his, lawmakers all settled on another $2 million. Uh, Tarr called it a prime example of bipartisan collaboration. Um, and like you mentioned, you know, these districts, There's 58 regional districts across the state. They cover wider areas. So as a sort of incentive to help districts um, with these challenges, the state had previously agreed that it would reimburse the costs of transportation, of bringing students to and from these schools over greater distances than just a single town school district. Um, For years, though, for more than a decade, the state has not lived up to fully reimbursing those costs. I think that lawmakers said on the floor that, you know, in 2012, they reimbursed a about 60%. The uh, budget proposal that they came into this week with would have reimbursed about 80% of those total costs. And this compromise version brings that up to 82%. So, you know, lawmakers voted unanimously and were, were pretty happy to make this change. But they noted that this is not a full solution. This is just a step in the right direction toward addressing a burden that a lot of these districts continue to carry amid broader concerns about education funding. Hmm. Senators also voted down a Republican proposal. Uh, I think there was one Democrat who voted with the minority uh, caucus uh, to boost uh, minimum education aid uh, from $30 to $100 a student. Um, What was the counter argument that the education chairman gave? Sure. Senator Lewis, the current education chairman, and it's worth noting, uh, Senator Sonia Chang-Diaz, the former uh, chairwoman of the Education Committee, both got up and spoke out against this amendment that would have added another $30 million to the budget and said, you know, they hear the concerns for these districts that will only receive $30 per pupil, uh, an increase in Chapter 70 aid next year, but that... um, 
they wanted the legislature's approach to focus on the districts that have the greatest needs, to focus on those four specific areas outlined by the Foundation Budget Review Commission, um, uh, health insurance, special education, schools with high numbers of English language learners and low-income students, and direct the broadest part of the reform and the most significant amount of new money to those districts that have greater challenges and greater costs. And they basically, you know, underlying all of that said that um, – $30 per pupil increase next year is still an increase in other states where enrollment is declining. Some schools might not get an increase at all, might actually see a decrease in funding. Um, and so, you know, the, the argument at the end of the day was let's direct whatever new funding we allocate toward the schools that need it most. And as we head into June, we're going to be talking, I'm sure, a lot more about education funding, right? Uh, it's sometime in June that we're expecting uh, an education funding bill to pop. Yeah, that's right, Sam. And that's, of course, just a, another issue that we saw senators, as their House colleagues did, kind of uh, pay deference to the this idea that there was there would be a debate at some point in the future. We don't have to have it now while we're debating the budget. We're going to get to it in a separate piece of legislation. Well, speaking of education funding, and I think a couple of you mentioned uh, funding for the UMass system specifically earlier in the podcast, uh, some college students, UMass students, uh, would like to see action sooner rather than later, lined the hallways on the third floor starting last week and wrapping up this Wednesday. Uh, they had spent some time out in front of uh, the Senate president's office and the Senate chamber, of course, with budget debate going on this week. Uh, and then they moved over to Speaker DeLeo's office on the other side of the floor. Uh, Matt, I think what a lot of us have noticed and, and talked about this week is is what a strong reaction we saw, even just in the hallways, uh, to the presence of these what, one or two dozen students uh, with the Senate really shutting down public access to some areas uh, during part of this budget debate. And uh, well, then we, we saw a little confrontation in front of the Speaker's office too. Yeah, these students certainly struck a nerve. We didn't really know how deep, at least on the House side, until Thursday night. Uh, but as Colin knows, because he did some writing about it, about it earlier in the week, senators were noting the presence of these college students, uh, and they even uh, took some steps. They were concerned about uh, an action to maybe block access to the Senate chamber. Uh, Colin, uh, you, you probably have better details, but they really just shut down uh, some parts of the Senate chamber over these kids. Yeah, when budget debate started on Tuesday, we saw rope lines outside the Senate chamber entrance on the third floor like we haven't seen in quite a while. Um, and one of the public one of the two public galleries uh, in the Senate chamber was kept closed to start the day Tuesday. Uh, there was some concern about activist activity in the State House. The you had a devil of a time trying to get an answer on sure that. Sure did, though. sure did. The uh, the Senate Senate President's Office wouldn't say uh, specifically which activists it was concerned about. I think it was fairly clear it was these college students who had been uh, demonstrating in the building uh, recently. Uh, so yeah, the Senate took steps to sort of fortify its chamber against this, as you put it, one or two dozen college students who were uh, demonstrating in uh, the sort of standard fashion, you know, chanting, shouting, um, not not taking it any further than that. 
Yeah, by, by and large, they had been, it had seemed, uh, pretty respectful throughout the week, though they were venting some of their frustration online. And uh, that escalated a bit on Wednesday. They moved over, as you mentioned, to the Speaker's office. They were outside. Then they moved into the, the lobby of the Speaker's office. They were sitting there. Uh, and then they uh, were not getting uh, the audience that they wanted with the Speaker and uh, decided to wrap things up, went outside, tried to give some speeches and some chants, actually ended up disrupting a gold star family's uh, commemoration a floor below and basically ended up leaving the state house feeling disappointed uh, expressing uh, how frustrated they felt that they in their opinion had not been heard by the speaker and by the lack of action they saw both in the senate and in the house yeah and uh, ruffled some feathers uh, frankly on on their way out of the state house that day uh, and it turned out they they really ruffled some feathers Matt with uh, some of their posts online after the fact where they talked about their experience uh, in the speaker's office yeah I had not actually been following uh, all of the stuff that was going on online but it appears that the speaker's office was because uh, Thursday night out of uh, seemingly out of nowhere we got a <laughs> statement from the speaker uh, fairly harshly criticizing these students, accusing them of, uh, in the speaker's word, Trumpian tactics, uh, and saying that they were uh, making wildly inaccurate statements online. Uh, you do some digging, and we found out that not only were they uh, had they struck a nerve with the speaker by suggesting that they had been ignored by his office, but there were also uh, suggestions online that uh, the state house uh, and the speaker in the house were using facial recognition software to identify and track these students, and uh, and had even been threatened uh, with arrest now by the, uh, house court officers. Yeah, so we find out later. I mean, the speaker denied in his statement denied threatening arrest, uh, denied the use of facial recognition. Uh, technology in the state house at all. Uh, the students, however, and the group that organized some of these demonstrations, Phenom, uh, stand by it. They say they were told by court officers that if they protested in the speaker's lobby, uh, they could face arrest. And uh, another court officer told the leader of Phenom that uh, the state house does, in fact, have these cameras that record people's faces. We've been, I've been told uh, by people in the building and by the speaker's office that this is not actually the case, but we are. Are, um, we are trying to look into it a little bit more and see what exactly the situation is. Sure, and uh, I don't think, have, have we ever seen anybody just arrested for sitting in an office uh, during the day? Normally folks wait until the building closes, it becomes trespassing, then they're arrested, right? Yeah, that's usually what happens. I mean, we've seen these groups come in and stage these kind of sit-ins. Uh, you guys might be able to refresh my memory. I remember some people sitting in in the governor's constituent services office. Cape Downwinders, I think. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the state police and, and the, the security in the building would tell these people that they're welcome to stay. Uh, but the building does close to the public at a certain time. And if they stayed after that, they could be subject to arrest. I mean, I think people have been cited uh, and, and had uh, charges dropped in the past. I don't think anyone really pursues these very far. But sometimes it's a goal of protesters to get arrested to make a point. Uh, but usually what we see is that the security around the building tries to give these people as much leeway as possible as long as they're demonstrating uh, respectfully. All right, very quickly before we wrap up, uh, Colin, we got some finally rather concrete news about uh, if you're a gambler, what you can expect in eastern Massachusetts next month. 
Yeah, including uh, if you're an active gambler, you can expect to be served complimentary alcohol until uh, 4 a.m. at Encore Boston Harbor. The Gaming Commission this week approved uh, the company's request for a 4 a.m. last call, but it is specific to people who are actively engaged in gambling on the casino floor. And my favorite part of that story was that they basically admitted to watering down drinks yes. post 2 a.m. <laughs> yes, they said after 2 a.m. when most you know bars close and, and uh, customers can have to stop walking up to bars to get drinks when they are only serving the complimentary drinks to gamblers, they mix them a little weaker than they might otherwise. Encore Boston Harbor on track to open 10 a.m. on June 23rd. 10 a.m. Be there or be square. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Have a, uh, have a good long weekend. Hey, thanks, Sam. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.